Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech, 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 tech talk. Tech, 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 tech talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Welcome, folks out there in listening land for another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. I'm your host, James Eddy, and we've got a whole swag of tech tidbits for you to get bogged into today. First of all, g'day, Matt, and happy Easter to you. Yeah, thanks very much, James. Good to see you again. Now, let's get stuck into it, folks. Are you sick of punctures in your bike tyres? Well, apparently, NASA has a solution. Matt, tell us more. Well, it's interesting, James, because I used to ride BMX bikes everywhere when I was a kid, and it'd be great. You'd be riding out, you'd have all that freedom, and then you'd inevitably be pushing it home all those kilometres that you'd ridden out, going out somewhere with some puncture on your bike. And a kid came along one day with solid rubber tyres, and we thought that was fantastic. But they were so heavy, and they just didn't give it all, so that didn't go anywhere. But NASA has this little problem that they have. When they send a rover, for example, off to maybe Mars, and they've sent five out there so far, then they don't really want to get a puncture out there because there's no, no real puncture repair kits the rover can take care of itself. And you can imagine there's no bike repair shop just around the corner to duck into. Yeah, it's really inconvenient, isn't it? It is a bit inconvenient for them. It's a couple of kilometres away. So they've come up with this concept with nickel and titanium combined to come up with a, a product called Nicanol. And the idea of it is that it actually gives a lot more than a normal metal would. So if you take, for example, steel, it only deforms about 0.5% before the deformation is permanent. So it's not much good on a tyre that you want to give a little bit, where Nicanol will actually give about 10% before that deformation is permanent. So the tyre can actually move like a tyre, pneumatic tyre would normally, and come back to its original position. Sorry, so you're saying this metal has a memory and it can restore its old shape so it can run like a normal rubber tyre. That's exactly right, as long as it's no more than 10%. And you think about a normal tyre, you're not hitting bumps that's deforming the rubber on a tyre 100%. It's only going in a little bit just to have a bit of give in that tyre. So, yeah, absolutely incredible. It is a memory alloy. It's known as an SMA. So the idea is that you put that on the rover and away it goes. But now, with that same technology, it's about to be applied to bicycle tyres where they'll put that Nicanol or alloy on a bike tyre, you'll coat it with some rubber so it's obviously not slippery and away you go. No air in the tyre, no punctures, not much heavier, a little bit heavier than a pneumatic tyre but the same sort of grip as a tyre, the same sort of give as a tyre, it sounds like wonderful to That's me. incredible. That, that sounds absolutely straight out of Star Trek. You know, it's like um, you would have thought being a metal alloy that it's going to have a bit of a slip at least. You know, you might get a bit more of a bumpy ride, but, um, you know, it's lightweight and it, and it restores its shape um, and, and runs like a normal rubber tyre. Absolutely. They'll probably be a little bit dearer when they first come out because obviously it is new technology, but at the same time, you don't actually throw it out when the tyre wears out. You just go and do a retread because the, the secret here is that the metal is going to last a long time. It's really that rubber that will eventually wear out and then you just retread and keep going. Wow, that is amazing. Well, at least uh, there'll be no more sweating over cat heads and bindi eyes and whatnot uh, as you, you ride through uh, the, over the grass here around town. That's right. Bring it on, I say. Bring it on. <laughs> on to the next topic. I've heard about spyware and about phishing and whatnot. What's this about fleeceware? Yeah, fleeceware. We are the number one in the world, James. Australia 
kills it with Fleeceware. We win. We have had more downloads from the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store of Fleeceware apps than any other country in the world. We should be incredibly proud of ourselves. We've had about 10 million downloads. Unfortunately, it's cost Aussies about $9.9 million in money that they didn't really know they were being fleeced of. Yeah, so so how does this work even? So Fleeceware, typically, uh, they're apps that you download that might say they're going to cost a certain amount, or they might even say they're going to be free for a trial period. And then before you realise that the trial period is finished and it's starting to take money out of your account, or they might claim to charge you a certain amount, but then just by using it, going through and, and actually taking advantage of the app, you'll be charged a lot more, or you'll actually be just charged more than they said in the first place. The number one example is Fortune Scope. I'm sure you haven't got a copy of this, James. <laughs> Live Palm Reader and Fortune Teller. Well, there's a waste of money right there. <laughs> That's right, right. Okay. So it's costing people up to three and a half thousand dollars a year what now i hope i hope people that are getting their fortunes told by this are saying that the app's telling them don't download fleece for apps i'm not sure it's actually <laughs> saying that um flame is another one it's a dating app and it actually discloses a fee it says an annual fee will be 119 dollars 99 cents so you download it you put it on and if you're happy to pay that then that's okay but it actually charges you $780 a year. So you've got to be really careful. I suppose, it, more than anything, this is a public service announcement. Just check those apps, check the terms and conditions. The free trial period, if it says a free trial period, be really careful. The good apps will warn you you're getting towards the end of your trial period. These apps won't. They'll hope that you forget about it and then start being charged. And the last thing, I suppose, is check your bank accounts. Yeah, I guess that's the key, isn't it? You've just got to keep checking your bank statements. She's getting harder and harder trying just to protect yourself from the wolves out there these days. Yeah, and some of the things, it's often kids or people that you've got in your family that might be using the same account that you're using or even using your credit card, as kids might do, Mum, I need this app, can I just get your credit card? It's important for school. And then that credit card might be used for other things. You might notice it on your phone, but you check your bank statement and suddenly you've got these charges. bang, there it is right there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, well, let's move on now. Um, I want to talk a little bit about movies. Now, I remember back in the mid-'90s, movies like, um, what was it, Enemy of the State with Will um, uh, Will Smith in it? Will Smith, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they'd take some photograph from uh, a satellite, and then they would zoom in, and then someone would give the commander, okay, I want some resolution there, and they'd hit a magic button, and it'd all come out clear as gold, and you could count the moustache hairs on the bad guy or whatever. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, look... These movie scenes show magically enhanced photographs when an IT expert clicks on a button. They're just fictional, right? Well, if I had have talked to you a week ago, James, I would have said yes. And I wanted to be that IT guy because the guy would come in with thick glasses, pens in his top pocket, hit the enhance button, and they could read, as you say, a number plate, see the whiskers on someone's face from 35,000 kilometres away. But... Photoshop have now come up with a super resolution feature. And what normally happens with a photograph is you've got so many pixels in the photograph, you enlarge that. All it does is enlarge each pixel. So it doesn't make it any clearer. It sometimes actually makes it blurrier because you're just making the whole thing bigger. But the yeah, that's su- what I'm used to when I'm trying to zoom into that's anything. It. Yep. yep. But the super resolution feature uses some pretty clever AI that tries to estimate what's between those pixels. So when it actually enhances the image, it adds more pixels to the image and then, as I say, uses that estimation to put between the pixels what it thinks is there. So it actually makes the image sharper. And I played around with this and looked at some different images and I was pretty impressed. I couldn't read the number plate from a blurry number plate still. (laughs) 
but I certainly got a sharper image where basically those extra pixels were filled in. So it didn't just make them bigger, it made the image bigger, but it certainly made the image sharper as well. This is the first iteration yeah. of this. I'm expecting to see lots of other companies now jump on this bandwagon and say, well, if Adobe can do it, we can do it well. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, so people are going to really start uh, digging into that enhancement there. Yeah. That's amazing. We're also familiar with the work of um, Spot the Robot Dog from Boston Dynamics. Now we've got this guy called Stretch, a new <laughs> robot. Yeah. yeah, Spot's pretty cool. Spot looks like a dog, runs around like a dog. I've talked about Spot a bit in the past. Stretch is a bit boring. Stretch has just got a big box on the on the base, comes up with an arm, I've got a camera on the arm, and then the name comes from the fact that his arm can stretch a long way. And the, the real challenge here with any of this sort of robotics is to give you something that's useful to you without having to have a whole bunch of infrastructure. So in a warehouse, for example, you might have rails like a train track put down on the floor. You'll have things put up the actual uh, storage cabinets so that a, a device can move up and along and go and do the picking. But you can spend millions, tens of millions of dollars fitting out your warehouse to be able to have these sort of devices. Stretch can go wherever. Stretch can be programmed to go and look for certain devices, look for certain QR codes or barcodes, actually just go and help in your warehouse with minimal effort and no infrastructure needed. So this is really for those smaller warehouses that need some robotic help. Yeah, because I was going to say, like places like Amazon, they're already set up for all this sort of stuff and they've got all that you know, millions and billions of dollars worth of uh, infrastructure in their warehouse, so they're fully automated. But this will work pretty conveniently versi- you know, in a very versatile way anywhere. That's exactly right. And, and I've been in some of those warehouses where it's all automated and it's fascinating watching an order go through the system. I absolutely loved it. But again, there's that infrastructure in place. So this can pick up 23 kilograms. So it's a fair weight that it can pick up. Uh, it can move around and they estimate around about 800 cases an hour it can move, which is probably similar to an efficient human. The difference here is Stretch can keep working 24 hours a day. Stretch doesn't have lunch breaks, doesn't knock off a smoker, doesn't get a bit tired on holidays, etc. You do have to swap the batteries on Stretch. Stretch will go for about one full shift on one battery charge, swap the battery over and away you go. So there's a couple of minutes of downtime there on each shift. But again, if I was a warehouse worker at the moment, I'd be trying to upskill myself. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Cattle farming has taken some stick in recent years. Yeah, what with uh, excess methane production and all. But I understand that we might be able to have cattle now solve some of our energy needs. Well, climate change or, or cows get a bit of a hard time with climate change, don't they? They do, they, yeah. A lot of people say reduce our meat consumption will solve climate change across the world. It, it probably will help a little bit, but maybe not solve it completely. But maybe there's another way. And this Chinese dairy farm, which, get ready for it, has got 250,000 cows on this dairy farm. Wow, well. <laughs> so there's a, a fair bit of milk produced. I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. true. We are talking China. 60,000 of those particular cows are in one particular section. I don't know how they picked those 60,000, whether they were special or, or something. But they're actually using their cow manure to ferment in an area. Sounds like a fun area to be. And the the methane from that is then used to produce electricity through a, a plant that effectively burns that methane. It's a 5.66 megawatt plant, which is enough to power about 3,500 homes. So again, not solving all the world's energy problems in one hit, but it's going a little way towards that. But it's, yeah, contributing towards helping out there. That's that's pretty amazing. So yeah. so um, tell me about it. So they've got a fermenter there that um, you know, uh, involves some anaerobic digestion, I presume. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so we're still, are we building up carbon dioxide still? Are we still 
producing some carbon dioxide out of that. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting is, is when you see people burning methane, you think, that's terrible, you're burning something, so you're producing more CO2. But methane is dramatically worse from a climate change perspective. It's a much worse greenhouse gas, if you like, than carbon dioxide. So you are producing some carbon dioxide, but you're taking something that's worse and making it a little bit better. Yeah. If you're going to keep producing methane, which cows will keep doing, whatever we want to keep eating meat or drinking cow milk, then this is a way to reduce the greenhouse impact of methane. We've got to methane. find something to do with that methane, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is quite productive. Fantastic. Something that I was blissfully unaware of is the global shortage of computer chips. Well, how could you be unaware of that? <laughs> <laughs> Are we about to see the walls come tumbling down? Um, what is, what's the one item that we're going to see uh, will, will have the most delays, for example? Yeah, well, look, this is called Chipageddon. There's oh, always right, got to be a, yeah, nice a sexy note, yeah. name for it. <laughs> and the obvious things are televisions, maybe gaming consoles, we've seen some shortages there, maybe even smartphones. But the one area that is going to impact more people than we realise, and also something that is not quite obvious, is the delay in cars. So we're seeing up to about a six-month delay for a new car. And and even anecdotally, I've heard people tell me that they went to order a new car and they were told, come back in three or four months' time and we'll have that car ready for you, which seems unusual. But what's brought this on? Well, it's interesting. A couple of things have brought it on. It really has been the perfect storm where you've got, I suppose, demand with lots of electronic products. While we've all been sitting home during the pandemic, we've bought more electronic products, so more chips have needed to be produced. And there aren't many chip producers in the world, and one of them had a fire in one of their plants, so that reduced production. You've had some other issues around the world that have that have cause some reduction in in actual production and then that increase in demand. So you get that perfect storm of those two happening and next you know we've got this shortage. But with cars it's interesting because again most people don't think about it but if you do break it down you've got your EFI in your engine, you've got your entertainment system, you've got your cruise control, radar control, cruise control perhaps, you've got the lane assist. All of these things require some chip of some description to be able to make that car work. But it's having a huge impact in some of the plants around the world. I mean, Ford, they cancelled shifts at two of their US car plants. They said $2.5 billion is going to be taken off their bottom line this year. Oh, wow. uh, Nissan is cutting back uh, some of their output at plants in Mexico and the US. Uh, General Motors, they said $2 billion profit hit for them. Volkswagen has sent 10,000 factory workers home. So you've got some major impacts on car manufacturers around the world. So it is interesting to see how much we rely on technology and so many things that we do. Well, I just can't even believe that we've got a, a chip shortage. Um, Chipageddon is a, uh, a real thing. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's take a bit of a uh, retro trip back to the 60s and 70s. The VW Combi is making a comeback? <laughs> I hope so. What's different about this version? Well, it's, uh, it's, I actually love the old Combi. My brother had a, a Combi when I was much younger than him and growing up as a kid. He unfortunately rolled it down a hill. And that was one of the problems with the old Combi. They were a bit top-heavy. They were a big yeah. box. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I did talk to my brother about it at the time, but I can't imagine it was a lot of fun bouncing down a hill inside the Combi. But the new VW Combi, and they haven't made it for about 40 years, the old Combi, the new VW Combi is electric. And it's trying to capture some of that old combi classic styling, but you put all those batteries down on the base of the vehicle and suddenly that top-heavy combi becomes a much better handling combi because that centre of gravity is so much lower. So the combi will be built on the the ID platform. This is Volkswagen who are are going to take over the world with electric. That's their future. They've got the ID3, ID4, ID5. This is the concept where they basically have a base that's common amongst many models. So they, they choose a base size 
And then what they put on top is different for models that might suit that particular market. So they might have a, an ID4 base, which is a certain size, and then they might have a small SUV or they might have a sedan that sits on that. So the idea is it reduces the cost of production. You have that common platform and then just put the top on it. So great idea for Volkswagen. And the Combi, I love the idea. That's awesome. I guess... Uh could this mean we'll see the return of the Sandman panel van as well <laughs> in an electric model, perhaps? I would love to see the Sandman Bring again. back the 70s. <laughs> All right. How is renewable energy impacting gas lines? I was going to say that um, if, you know, energy supplies have become a really key concern of the modern age. Yeah. As one tech grows, uh, the impact on other established areas is, is really hard to predict. And apparently renewable energy is impacting on gas pipelines? It does sound strange, doesn't it? You think gas pipelines, that's been built, that's all ready to go, shipping gas to an area, end of story. But one of the things that the companies that use these gas pipelines do is in the pricing model they put forward to the regulator, they say we will depreciate a a part of our asset infrastructure over a certain number of years, therefore we want to charge X dollars per year to get back our money for that. And the regulator looks at that, thinks it's reasonable and, and away they go. This particular gas pipeline in in WA originally had an end-of-life projection of 2090. So they did all their projections on 2090 and broke it down over those years and the costs of those. They've now said, we actually don't think we'll be still shipping gas in that pipeline after the year 2063. Oh, wow. So is is that due to supply or is it just due to the demand is going to to run out? I think the demand, I think the supply will be there. They've made those estimations on what they would need up to 2090. I'm sorry, yeah, my apologies, yeah. But, But it really was just about their opinion is that in 2063, no more gas. Renewable energy is having such an impact on their business model that they think that by you know, 30 years ahead of schedule, effectively, they'll shut that gas pipeline down because no one will want it, no one will need it, and renewable energy will take up much faster than they thought. So this is actually going to have an impact on gas prices as well because they'll then go to the regulator and say, we need to reduce our effective life of this pipeline from around about 70 years back to maybe around about 40 years. And that, obviously, break that down over a per-year basis, has an impact on gas prices. Absolutely. Yeah. So many little permutations to uh, what needs to be considered when you introduce a new technology. Yeah, and, uh, and think, keep in mind, sorry, that it's only about 10 years ago that pipeline was built. So it's not as if they built this 50 years ago and things have slowly changed over the years. It's a pretty quick change over those 10 years. Yeah, wow. This uh, whole phenomenon of, of, uh, of well, Wi-Fi power charging, that's, it's been a big thing. It's been a big dream of the Apple Air Power. Um, now... Uh, have they been released by another company instead? Well, Apple did make some wonderful promises with their air power. They showed it at a demonstration and said, look at this, you just have a, a charging pad that you can just sit three devices on, sit them anywhere, and away it goes. And everyone eagerly awaited that to come out, and it didn't. And it still hasn't, and it won't. But other companies went, that's a pretty good idea, you know, we might have a look at that. So Xiaomi now, which is not a big name in Australia, in mobile phones in Australia, but it is big overseas, Xiaomi have come out with a wireless charging pad and it's as good as, or as close as I've seen, to the promise of the Apple AirPower. Effectively, it's got 19 different coils throughout. You can sit a device, up to three devices on it, basically anywhere, any angle, they'll charge, as long as they're wireless charging compatible, obviously. And the, the really good part about it is they'll charge up to 20 watts. So often wireless chargers and other wireless charging pads have come out that have only been able to charge at 5 watts. Nice and convenient, you drop it down on the charging pad, 
you think that's great, I'll do that and, and leave that be. But at 5 watts, it takes a fair while to charge a device. At 20 watts, it's basically the equivalent of having it plugged in. In fact, some plug-in chargers don't even charge at 20 watts. So keep an eye out for that. Xiaomi will come out with that. They've already released the, the prototype of it. They'll come out with that at some stage soon. But again, I just love that convenience. It'll get to the stage, James, where we'll just have desks that'll come out, and you can buy them from Ikea now with a charging pad in one spot, but desks that'll come out where they'll have coils underneath it everywhere, and you'll just come in and sit your phone down at that desk and know that your phone's charging. Just that convenience. Well, it means I don't have to worry about whether or not my plug is actually plugged in properly or not, and I hate getting caught out by that. (laughs) That's right. So anyway, keep an eye for that. And they've got some pretty big plans, Charmy. They're looking at trying to get to the stage where they've got 67-watt wireless charging, even 80-watt wireless charging. They see this is the real future, and then you'll get that phone that has no connectors. The same as we got rid of the headphone connector recently, or or a couple of years ago now, then you'll get rid of that plug in the phone, so the phone will be effectively that sealed unit with better capabilities to go underwater, I imagine, with that. Yeah, amazing. Well, once again, Matt, thanks for another great instalment of Tech Talk. Tune in again next week, folks, for more glimpses into the future. I'm James Eddy, and thanks for listening.